I invite you to uh, turn in a Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. We're looking at chapter 24, portion of God's Word where in the context Jesus is in that time of his life where he is focused for the last week prior to the crucifixion in the city of Jerusalem. And as he is there, there as it were, touring Jerusalem with the disciples. And I'll begin reading at verse 1. But let's first pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word. We thank you for its inspiration. We pray now, Lord, that you would illuminate it to us, that we would see what you would have us to know, to believe, and to do, that we might glorify you with our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the written word of our Lord. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another, and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I suppose if you're like most Christians, you want to know when Jesus is returning. I'm going to tell you. Jesus tells his disciples exactly when that will happen here in this passage. He's answering their question, when will these things take place? And he tells them that before he comes, there will be a variety of events, signs of his coming, that will indicate that the end is near, the beginning of the end, so to speak. He talks in there, verse 3 and following, about these things happening, many signs, verses 5 and following, wars, famines, earthquake, tribulation, apostasy, false prophets, all of these things. And then he tells them in verse 14 when he will come. Look at verse 14 with me. Jesus will come again in his glory when the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to all the nations. There's your answer. When's Jesus returning? When the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to all 
the nations. Now those words are clear, but the intent might be a little harder to understand. So we're going to look at that verse today and see what it is that Jesus is saying to his disciples. Uh, you may notice, if you're at all concerned about grammar, that there are two verbs in that verse. And they're both future tense. This will happen, Jesus is saying. It's not yet, it's future. And they're also very interesting in a particular mood. That is sort of the, the tone of the, the verb. They're, they're indicative, they're indicating something that will take place. So future tense, indicative. Jesus, the Son of God, is saying, in the future, this is going to happen. And you might say, how can he be so sure? Well, remember who's talking. This is Jesus. Jesus is saying, I, the Son of God, am going to tell you something that will happen in the future, and it's absolutely certain. Because not only do I know that it will happen, it's my plan. It's my purpose. It's my decree. So when we look at verse 14, this is not just a suggestion or an idea or something that might happen, like you might plan or think. This is the eternal Son of God saying, the kingdom will come in its fullness, my return, when the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to all the nations. So what do we do while we're waiting? Well, I want to divide this verse up into three things that we need to be doing. And I say we because we are the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us this will happen in the future, but it's not something we just sit back and wait for it to happen. It's something we must be engaged in. What are we supposed to be doing? Well, we, the church, are to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Jesus has ascended to the Father, and he gave this particular task to his church. So the very first thing we notice in this verse, then, is that we have to proclaim, as Jesus calls it, this gospel. Now, what is that? Jesus doesn't tell us in this passage. Well, the rest of the scriptures do. Let me just read quickly verse, four verses. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know that? That's part of the gospel. Second verse, Matthew 3, 2. This is John the Baptist. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why do you need to repent? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the gospel, the glory of God. Third verse, John 14, 16. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So because you're a sinner, you need to repent and you need to come to Jesus. And then Ephesians 2 reminds us, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. So that's one summary of the gospel. The simplest is probably this. Jesus came to save sinners. That's the gospel that must be preached to all the nations in verse 14. Let me ask you. Do you believe it? We can't think about what the church is called to do or to be. We can't even begin to think about our responsibility unless we recognize that the gospel must be our gospel. We must believe it. You're in a faithful church here. I know the gospel is faithfully preached here. 
But do you know the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus came into the world to save me from my sin? Not just the sins of the people that we're sending missionaries to. It has to be a personal gospel, a personal belief. That's where we have to begin. Jesus will return when this gospel is preached to all the nations, but if it doesn't start with me, then I'm not starting correctly. Now, many people think that the gospel is basically this. Here's a false gospel. Jesus came to fix my life. Now, in some ways, that's true, but that's not the foundation stone. Jesus didn't just come to fix your life. Jesus came because God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, has made us in his image, and we, his creatures, are in rebellion against this holy God. And his just wrath is upon the nations. And Jesus came to take that wrath upon himself that the nations might be saved. And then, of course, that will fix your life. Thanks be to God. But unless we get the gospel right, all, all these flags of the nations and all the missionaries we support are a waste of time if we don't know what the gospel is. And so Jesus' emphasis, first of all, is that the gospel must be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Do you know the gospel personally? Do you trust Jesus? The only hope you have in your life is if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he died in your place, that the wrath that God has for your sin is laid on him, and that in trusting in him you're not only forgiven, but you're brought in, adopted into the family of God. You belong to Christ. You, you are his, and therefore you are compelled to go out and proclaim the gospel. We need to begin with this gospel, and that's what Jesus points us to. But secondly, you see that there is then this mission, and the mission of the church. We are to proclaim the gospel not just to ourselves, but to all the nations. It's an interesting term. Some Bibles translate it differently, all the peoples. That's legitimate. Jesus is not just saying that the nations that exist in, say, 33 AD when Jesus is on the earth, he's not just saying those nations, the Roman government, He's saying all the peoples of the earth. And that's much broader than even you might think about political nations. We have here uh, flags of political nations. There's 195, I think, this morning. Tomorrow it might be different. Jesus is saying that within the nations, political entities, there are groups of people that are different from other groups of people. Take one country in West Africa, Nigeria. One nation... 540 people groups separated by language, by culture, uh, by the various ways in which they live. Jesus is saying that this gospel that is his and ours must go to all the people groups of the world, all of them. I think we can safely say that the gospel is in every political nation, even in those where it's very small and the church is tiny. But what about every people group? Missiologists say that there are anywhere between 12,000 and 24,000 people groups in the world. And they estimate some 7,000 have never heard the gospel. The task of the church of Jesus Christ is to take this gospel to all of these people groups. 
We need to reach out to everyone, not just 195 nations and say we're done. In fact, if that is a completed task, every 195 nations hear the gospel, then why hasn't Jesus returned? No, the people groups. That's what Jesus is referring to here. This gospel must be preached to all the nations. So what do we do while waiting? We make sure that we, the church of Jesus Christ, are ensuring that the gospel is going to every single people group. Now, you have a missions committee in this church. That's great. It's not just their job to make sure that that happens. How about the people group at work? That little group of people that always hang out together, that talk together, and you know none of them know Jesus. That may not be a defined missiological people group, but you know that group. You're not part of it because you're a believer, and maybe you have no time to spend with them, but they're a group of people that need to hear the gospel. What about the little tiny groups that names of which you can't even pronounce that are in far-flung nations? They need to know the gospel. Jesus is saying it very, very plainly here. And we in the West, North America, United States, Virginia, Williamsburg, we have gifts of God that have been given to us that we need to use to share with the nations. What are those gifts? Well, we have financial wealth. Compared to the rest of the world, we're very well off. We also have the gift of education. Now, my particular ministry in West Africa is theological education. We have tremendously gifted men and trained men here in the United States that can take that gospel to the nations, whether full-time like Frank Sindler and Jim Weaver and Colin, or part-time like myself, or maybe one of your pastors. These gifts that God has given to us are part of taking this gospel to all the nations, and we have to share because God has given it to us abundantly. So what do we do while waiting? We take the gospel to all the nations, and particularly, third point, we proclaim it. We proclaim it. Now, you don't need to get into the details of the Greek language, but there are several different words in Greek that the New Testament has that we translate preach or proclaim. Most of them are not used very often, but two are the primary ones. And the first one emphasizes the content of what is being proclaimed. It's even very close to the word that is defined as gospel. So it says, proclaim the good news, emphasizing what we're telling people. But the second word is the word that's used here that uh, is written down here in Matthew 24. And that particular word emphasizes not the content of the gospel, but the method of proclamation. And so it's translated here, proclaim. You could also translate it, uh, preach. And the content of that particular word is very narrow and focused. It means to proclaim something like a herald of the king. You're an ambassador. You're sent out. The king has given you a message that needs to be spoken publicly. Now, one scholar defines this word like this. A public proclamation of an authoritative message by a person of delegated and recognized authority. In other words, it's not just everybody who does this. What Jesus is saying in this passage to his disciples 
is this gospel, which has to be proclaimed to all the nations, is proclaimed in a very specific and narrow way. In the sense that it is my commissioned workers who go and proclaim the gospel. And you might be sitting there thinking, great, I'm off the hook. It's just the preachers who have to go and proclaim the gospel. Well, in one sense that's true, but in another sense, of course, all of us are to be testifiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But follow me just for a moment as we conclude this this morning in thinking about that particular aspect of what Jesus is saying in this message. I want us to focus on this proclamation part. Because while I think the church of Jesus Christ generally agrees uh, what the gospel is, and the church of Jesus Christ generally agrees that the gospel goes to all the nations, I'm not sure we agree that it needs to be preached. There's an awful lot of things we do together as the church that are good things outside of preaching. Fellowship times, teaching times, all the things that we do together. But Jesus is particularly, by using that word, talking about proclaiming the gospel. In other words, the end will come when preachers are sent out to all the nations. That's what he's really saying here. Do you believe that that's what the scriptures teach? You can say, well, of course, Bob, you believe that. You're a preacher. It's like the guys in my church. If you own a Dodge truck, everybody should drive a Dodge. If you own a Ford, everybody should own a Ford. I don't say this because I'm a preacher. I say this, that the gospel must be preached to all the nations because that's what the Bible says. Let me give you a couple verses. The first and most obvious one is in 2 Timothy. You know that context there perhaps where Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul's about to die. He's going to be put to death in Rome. Last will and testament to young Timothy. He tells them about the difficulties of the times and the difficulties of the situation that Timothy's in. And and then he says to him, You, however, have followed my teaching. Consider what you have learned and firmly believed, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So that's the famous passage about the Bible and how it comes into being and the value of the word of God. And we all hold to that. The scripture is God-breathed. And you could put a period there, and most translations put the chapter break right there. But Paul's thought goes on to what is really the high point of that letter to Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge you, In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, here it is, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Of all the things that Paul could have said to Timothy, look, Timothy, I'm dying. I'm going to be put to death for the gospel. It's up to you to continue the ministry there in Ephesus. 
Make sure that you have a good kids program. Make sure that you have uh, suppers regularly. Make sure you're doing X, B, A, anything. No, he says, preach the word. Why? Because Paul explains that in Romans 10. What does Paul say in Romans 10? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How should they believe of him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's God's ordained method for sending the gospel to the nations. Not sharp enough for you yet? What does Paul say to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21? It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The Westminster Shorter Catechism in its attempt to summarize the Christian faith answers the question about the word of God and its effectiveness in question 89. And the answer is this, the Holy Spirit makes the reading but especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. Brothers and sisters, we cannot do it any other way. We need to help people in other countries. We need to do economic help. We need to establish schools. We need to do things that bring the gospel in a variety of ways. But of all the things Jesus says most plainly, Paul says it, preach the word. And if we as churches and individuals are not advocating, supporting, encouraging the preaching of the word to all the nations, we're not fulfilling what Jesus says in this passage. Last week we celebrated the Protestant Reformation. Did you have anything special here? Bring it to note. 504 years ago, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on the chapel door at Wittenberg and started what we call the Protestant Reformation. It was a reformation of theology, it was a reformation of worship, but many scholars say it was primarily a reformation of preaching. The word of God had not been preached in the churches. And Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and others brought the pulpit back to the center of the church and began to preach the word of God. Luther says, I did nothing. The word preached did everything. That's what Jesus is telling us as a church to do here. Preach the word to all the nations, and then he will come. Then he will come. So what's your task? You're not preachers? Well, let me give you four words. Listen, support, encourage, and enable. The first you're doing very well right now. You're listening to preaching. Do it next week, too, and the next week, and the next week, and make sure you're here, and you bring your friends, because the gospel must go to all the nations, but it must come to our nation as well, shouldn't it? Bring that friend at work, bring that friend from school, bring that colleague, that neighbor, that one who never hears the gospel preached, because primarily it's by the preaching of the gospel that God, by his Holy Spirit, takes that gospel and bores it into people's souls and brings them to himself. Well, the promise is that the preach word will be effectual. Many people come to Christ in other ways, of course. But the promise is that the Spirit will use the preached word to draw men, women, and children to himself. So we have to listen to preaching. 
You can do it during the week. We have wonderful ways to do that. Not quite the same thing. You can listen as you work. You can listen as you ride to work. You can listen to all kinds of sermons, some of them good. But we need to listen to preaching because it's God's mean not only to, to draw us to himself, it's God's means to sanctify us, to make us holy, to make us like Jesus. It's the primary means that he uses. So listen to preaching. Support, encourage, and enable preaching. Here, tell your pastors how much you appreciate their preaching. Encourage them. If you're on this session, make sure they have what they need to do that work. Encourage preaching here and to the nations. You do that by sending missionaries who are preachers or who are training preachers, developing preachers. Again, there's lots of things we can do on the mission field. My primary concern is that the scripture tells us we need to develop preachers. That's what we're going to do in the Gambia. That's what people are doing all over the world. We need to develop the preached word. So how you as a particular congregation do that overseas, that's up to your leadership. But you need to do it. You need to support, encourage, and enable the preaching of the gospel. And pray for missionaries who are doing that. Support them not just by finances, but encouraging them in their work and the necessity of it. And most of all, pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers out into harvest to preach the gospel to all the nations, not just so that Jesus will come, but so that we're fulfilling his commission. That's very plainly what Jesus is saying in this passage. Now, your part in that, of course, will depend upon who you are. Many years ago, I was watching television and I saw a parade. It was a parade of our Olympic athletes. I forget the city they were in. They were heading off to wherever the Olympic Games were going to be that year. And so marching down the street are all the athletes. You know how they dress them all like in the same sweatsuits and they look very smart and strong and fast and and, and they were there. They were the athletes. They were going off, as it were, sort of to battle. And on the sides of the streets were all those people who had enabled them to do that. Parents, coaches, supporters. And you could just see it on their faces and on the signs. You know, go Jesse, go Susan. And they knew them. They loved them. They were behind them. They had sacrificed for them. And then there were other people that probably just were passing by, saw the parade, and they were excited. These are our Olympic athletes. They're going off, and they were cheering them, and they were excited for them. But here was the amazing thing. It was a city. And there were lots of people still walking by on the sidewalks, paying no attention whatsoever. They didn't care. Didn't even know what the parade was for, maybe. People in churches are like that according to verse 14. They know that Jesus has called us to preach the gospel to the nations, but they act like they don't care. I'm busy with my life. Got things to do. Let the mission committee worry about that. Let the preachers worry about that. I'm just on autopilot. Others, of course, are like, you know, the, the cheerleaders. Oh, that's great. Glad you're going off there, missionary. Super. We have a mission week. See you next year. Then there's the sacrificers who give themselves faithfully to support the work, to encourage, to supply. And then, of course, there are those who go. 
If you are not asking God daily, Lord, how do I fit into this mission picture? How do I fit into verse 14? What is my calling? Am I one who is to be engaged in the support work? Am I one to be an encourager or maybe even one to go? How do I fit into this preaching, proclaiming the gospel to all the nations? That's the question we each have to ask. Because you see, this is the mission for the whole church. Not just the preachers, not just the elders, but all of us. What do we do while waiting for Jesus to come? We make sure we're fulfilling his call to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And if that's Jesus' plan, who are we to come up with a better one? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have a set plan for your church. We thank you for the responsibility that is given to us to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And we pray, Father, that you would convict each heart here what our part is to play in that. Lord, lead us in these things. Show us what your plan is and help us to fulfill it. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.